Well, good morning. Welcome to our continuing Bible study in Luke. We're in chapter 23 this morning again, and it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together, and so we'll kind of back up and review a little bit in our very interesting portion of Scripture that we're looking at today in uh, regarding this thief on the cross with Jesus. There were two thieves with Christ crucified in the middle of them, and and something something miraculous happened with the one thief while the other went to his death cursing Christ and abusing him and but the other one something happened with him and so we'll read there in uh, <clears throat> starting in verse 36 of Luke 23 and the soldiers also mocked him coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying if thou be the king of the Jews save thyself and a superscription was also written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew <coughs> excuse me this is the king of the Jews and one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him saying if thou be the Christ say thyself and us but the other answering rebuked him saying dost thou or dost not thou fear God saying thou art in the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we received the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Boy, what a what a tremendous passage we have here. And, and <clears throat> as we consider these circumstance the conditions uh, <clears throat> today thou shalt be with me in paradise is that a place or is it a person is it a park a city a kingdom you know all those things are brought to us in the scriptures that describe the same thing and behind it all is a purpose and what does the scripture tell us about the paradise of God what does it tell us about <clears throat> these conditions in which this thief uh, turned about and and we're considering those things which absolutely must have occurred for Jesus to make this statement to this one that says today thou shalt be with me in paradise well he knew that all the father had given him would come to him and even in the, the last hours of life this this thief was was brought to him and their their paths intersected and <clears throat> well Christ knew that no man could come to him except the father which sent me draw him is what the scripture says and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out can we find a clearer example of that than this thief says Lord remember me Him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Well, Christ knew that that no man can come to him except the Father which sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. <clears throat> and 
no man can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost from 1 Corinthians 12, 3. You know, you know in our last lesson, it was again brought out the, the natural condition of man and sin and as stated by the one thief crucified at the right hand uh, side of Jesus, brought to an understanding <clears throat> regarding the, the guiltiness of our position by nature by the most holy God. He says, we're guilty. We've, we're receiving our due reward. But this man has done nothing amiss. <clears throat> he was brought to his <clears throat> sense of a need for a Savior. For we, we, we look back at Job at that daysman, the one that could lay a hand on us both, one that could satisfy the justice and righteousness of God on the one hand and the one that could take a sinner and make him righteous in the eyes of God. You know, the natural man has no part, ability, nor right to participate in the spiritual things of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God <clears throat> for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. And certainly this, this one thief, this robber, this plunderer who was joined with the other thief and those gathered to, to blaspheme the Lord, to mock him, fit that description. The taunting, the one that was in the middle and who appeared so far to the one he appeared so far from being even able to save himself, let alone them, that he just mocked him and taunted him. And, and to the other one, <clears throat> something was revealed to him about that man that caused him to call him Lord and to look to him and as the lamb <clears throat> slain from the foundation of the world and the one who would be the savior of the world. <clears throat> and... <clears throat> You know, we discussed last time that uh, crucifixion was a lengthy process that could take a long time to, to for the the thief to expire, and and they hurried that up by breaking their legs so that they they couldn't breathe and they would suffocate. And uh, but <clears throat> you know, this man was not going to pass out of this world until the Lord said, "Today thou shalt be with me in in paradise." And a man's heart was changed, given a heart to know the God, and and we we pointed out how accurately Ezekiel thirty six twenty two through thirty one portrays us. I will I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and I will do all these external things <clears throat> to you from a divine perspective, and then you'll look at yourself and loathe yourself for your own ways. But at the same time, you're going to rejoice that the Lord uh, saved you and that your name was revealed, that your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So, so this scene, which so accurately portrays sovereign grace in salvation, this man had no chance to do any good stuff. I was thinking this morning, you know, He's hanging there on the cross and there might have been some people out there that he robbed, <laughs> that he assaulted. And they're saying, I hope you take a long time to die. I hope you suffer a lot because you stole all my stuff and now I'm suffering. 
and and they were they were probably happy to see him hanging there, you know, and 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 yet we find out that he was a chosen vessel of God to bring this scene through thousands of years to so many people that would say, you know, I'm the chiefest of sinners, just as that man proclaimed. I'm I'm guilty. A pattern. He didn't have a chance to go to church regularly, didn't get baptized, no communion, no repeat after me prayer, no sign this, no none of that crazy stuff that religion brings out. Just sovereign intervention by God for one of his elect. Sovereign grace applied at a time which pleased God according to his purpose. And his repentance was a direct result of the new birth and <clears throat> and the result was today that shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so we're going to look a little bit uh, one of the things that we're trying to bring out here is is to try and give as much of an accurate portrayal of God and His holiness and attributes and compare that to our condition in the fall and then to realize what it takes to overcome all that and then to be told Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And what exactly is paradise? And and what does the scripture say about that? And, <clears throat> and uh, we're going to spend a little time in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, it says for in verse 5 of Colossians 1, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So it tells us some things there <clears throat> about the connection between heaven and the gospel. Our text in Luke refers to paradise, which we in this world associate as heaven. It's, it's, it's an interesting word. It's defined as to rise, paradise. It's, it's defined as a, to rise as a mountain figuratively and uh, the idea of elevation and by extension heaven as the abode of God and hence by implication happiness. It's lofty from a standpoint of holiness. And <clears throat> so it's, you know, people have a, in religion, people have a kind of a crazy idea about heaven and everything. It's It's often portrayed almost like a Disneyland type thing and uh, don't you want to go to heaven don't you want to go to uh, and they and then seldom mention sin or the fall or any of those things that are uh, of uh, importance and and they portray it as, as more of a destination instead of maybe a, a result <clears throat> and uh, it's it's as it's defined as a uh, to rise as a mountain. Often in times in Scripture, it's portrayed as a mountain, Mount Zion, and and the Holy Mount, and all those things. Uh, uh, the idea of elevation again, and 
you know the Greek term acme. I always liked the Roadrunner cartoons. <laughs> it was always acme this and acme that. Well, acme is actually a Greek term that means the absolute peak, the highest point, the perfection of a thing expressed. That's what that word means. And ironically, the acme in the cartoon was always failure, failure, failure. <laughs> Something that blows up, <laughs> uh, that doesn't work. But uh, in biblical terms, it, it describes accurately the work of God in salvation. It's, it's um, truly the absolute peak. And he is the absolute peak, the highest point, the perfection of a thing expressed. We must then consider it in terms which only come from God and perhaps not really look at, at paradise so much as a, a place up there as more of a state of being. Uh, one, of the one of the words that defined paradise was happiness. Well, happiness is not a place. Happiness is a state of being. Uh, metaphorically this truth is spoken of by God himself up uh, you, whenever we're, whenever it's interesting that when we're looking at scripture <coughs> we go up to Jerusalem we go up to Mount Zion we go up or we go down to Egypt <laughs> things that picture this world and the in the things that are opposite to God and 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 so up is just an allegory for really for spiritual truth and in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8 and 9 we'll look at a couple words here that are interesting as Isaiah wrote them in Isaiah 55 8 he says God is, is describing himself and, and comparing himself to to men he says in verse 8 my thoughts are not your thoughts Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord, saith Jehovah. <clears throat> For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so it's not really a measurement, it's just a, a, an allegorical reference point to, to show us <clears throat> the difference between how we are and how God is and and it's it's an infinite measurement it's so high that uh, as Norman pointed out in the Wednesday night lesson in Esther that <clears throat> that God said to Moses no man can see my face and live he said, I'll, I'll let you see my hinder parts I'll let you see a little bit of me and that's what we're what we're faced with here and <clears throat> in this world and so higher higher gives us a sense of to soar above incomprehensibly <laughs> the other night I was I was standing out in the yard and the sky was so clear and this little satellite went blinking across the sky just blink, 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 just traveling at a high rate of speed and pretty soon it was just gone out of sight and uh, <clears throat> soaring across the the heavens as we as we perceive them and uh, so to soar above incomprehensibly is a 
it's kind of a concept that we can in some measure understand and appreciate if only in a small way that God says my ways are higher than, than your ways it's unreachable in our in our condition and, and as Norm said uh, from Song of Solomon we we see through the lattice we only get a little glimpse here and a little glimpse there and and the rest of it is kind of obscured and uh, Paul said for now we see through a glass darkly but then face to face now I know in part but then shall I know even as also I am known <clears throat> so that's how we that's kind of our view of God we we just have such a small glimpse of his true nature his true holiness his true righteousness his, his true character <clears throat> and the more that we get a glimpse of that we see how far removed from him that the fall makes us and <clears throat> what it takes to overcome that and and when we talk about him being his ways being higher than our ways the sense is more advanced in quantity and quality and by every measurable and unmeasurable metric to an infinite scope it's just not comprehensible to us in our this, this it's foolishness to us and we don't even get a hardly a dark glass glimpse or a through the lattice glimpse until we're born again because Jesus said let a man be born again he can't see the kingdom of God it doesn't matter if there's lattice work or a dark glass or whatever he, he doesn't even get a, a glimmer of it he can't see it and so we have a situation then as stated in Isaiah 55 8 where by nature in this world our thoughts are not his thoughts our ways are not his ways and we're always trying to reverse that thing by saying, well, your ways ought to be our ways. This is how we think things should be. <clears throat> and we're always trying to make him conf uh, comply with our metrics, our idea of how things should be. And <clears throat> so there's an, an absolute imperative necessity for a change to occur, a reconciliation to take place if we're to dwell with him and be in his realm because in our natural state we we're incompatible with that we we can't we can't be there uh, <clears throat> so to accomplish reconciliation to effect a change that allows us into the very presence of God and to more than that be able to go to him and say abba father is it's a, it's something to overcome it's a huge problem that has to be taken care of. <clears throat> it requires the effectual work of the Son to whom all power is given. He says, you've given me power to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given me. To him by whom all things were created and by whom all things consist. That and that word means held together and and 
in more than a physical sense when Norm was, we were talking about quantum physics and how things are hooked together in, in ways that we can understand and, and forces that, that we're just trying to unravel but we don't have a clear understanding of, but everything operates according to God's laws and principles and physics. And even if we don't fully understand them, it doesn't mean that they're not working everything according to his will. <clears throat> but he says, by whom all things consist, kind of gives us a glimpse of more of a spiritual sense than just physics. All things are held together <clears throat> in a spiritual way that, that we barely can uh, get our handle on. He's the daysman, the one that can lay a hand on the most holy God, the Father, and the worst sinner like this thief on the cross. Or like Paul, he said, oh, I was a rotten egg. <laughs> I, I was awful. I was, <clears throat> I'm, I'm the chiefest sinner. I am the worst sinner is kind of what he said. And... <clears throat> So Christ is the one that can lay a hand on us both and reconcile all things, the justice and righteousness of God, the need for his people's sins to be atoned for and for them to be changed, to be in, to be in fellowship with him whose ways are higher than our ways. <clears throat> you know, Matthew tells us that the kingdom, that heaven that paradise were created from the foundation of the world. Now we we kind of look at, sometimes we read things and we just don't really latch onto them and say, well, what does that mean? <clears throat> well, let's look at Matthew 25, 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, that word prepared, when you look that up, it, it says, well, it means provided. Inherit the kingdom provided for you from the foundation of the world. And then we look at a scripture that says, we have a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And we put those things together and, and we get a clearer sense of, of the scope of salvation and God's uh, work in, in the elect and his bringing them to him. The <clears throat> inherit the kingdom pre prepared for you from the fa at the time of creation. There was a, there was a provision made. Not just a place, but perhaps more of a person than a place. And I think that's the, the essence of what we're trying to bring out today, that, that maybe heaven isn't that hymn we sang, my mansion, I'm going to my mansion in the sky. <laughs> but maybe that mansion isn't so much of a physical building where we have everything as, as being in Christ. So let's, let's go over to Colossians 
uh, chapter 1, and it's a very, very interesting chapter here and, and says so much. But as we consider then that paradise or heaven is really maybe more of a than just a destination or a place, but a, a state of being. In Colossians 1, beginning with verse 12, <clears throat> it states the, the absolute necessity of redemption from the fallen state and restoration or reconciliation to fellowship with God through His Son. And when we think about, you know, Adam in the, in the garden before the fall was in fellowship with God. He was in a different state, different being, and yet the fall plunged him into an abyss that was immeasurable. <clears throat> in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So it lays all of the causative element there to God. God the Father <clears throat> made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And so there's several sermons right in that verse there. And because we know that God is light and in him is no darkness. And, and if we look at him in that element of him being light in a spiritual sense, then it, it gives added, added context to our, our scriptures here. <clears throat> who hath delivered us, that's God again, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness the opposite of, of light, and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Translated means that it, translating in, involves a change. When we translate a language, we change it from this language into another language. When we translate radio frequencies from one to another, they, they, they're different. They're, they carry the same the message maybe, but they've been changed from one frequency to another. and, and <clears throat> So we have that understanding of it. <clears throat> Translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom, in, and this refers to Christ, his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And, and then some more descriptive things about Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. All things were created by him and for him. All things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Well, what is the purpose of all that? It's for the, the glory of God. It wasn't just because he was bored or some inconsequential thing. It was according to his eternal purpose. 
<clears throat> all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. So we have some very potent things written about Christ there. <clears throat> and more than that, I always like these ands. It's kind of like Ephesians in Romans. Romans 8, 28 through 31. Just layers on blessings. And he's before all things, and by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you. So now we go to the flip side, the, the recipients of all these wonderful things that we just read about. Creation. Reconciliation through the blood of the cross. All those things. And you, there in verse 21, that were sometime alienated. That means a foreigner. That means you have, you're a stranger, a foreigner. And worse than that, you're enemies. You that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And you know, we think of wicked works, well, we think of all kinds of things, but the, the wicked work is, is unbelief. That is the crux of things. Not believing the gospel, not believing Christ. <clears throat> but now he's reconciled us because our ways were not his ways. I always use the example of my wife's checkbook. I would put entries in there sometimes, <laughs> sometimes not. Then she would get her statement from the bank and she would have to reconcile my mess that I made with the bank which had the accurate record of things as they really were. And so we might think of oh, that's the gospel, that's the Bible, that's the truth of God. And, and over here we have this mess that we make in life. and. So she'd say, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? And then she would fill in all the blanks and correct all the, where I put transposed numbers or whatever. And then at the end, she'd say, I reconciled. They're both the same. And I'd say, Phew. <laughs> and, the, and it says, yet now hath he reconciled. He's made us the same. He's made us both the same. He's changed us. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Well, that's what has to occur before the paradise part comes in. <clears throat> we have to be changed from our condition as it relates to the fall to one that's holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. You know, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Who being, talking about Christ again, who being the brightness of his glory. Just 
not enough to say he's light, but it's it's the brightness, the the dazzlingness of it. The brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Upholding, that's a that's a very expressive term about Christ, how he by him all things consist. Upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Purging of sins is necessary because of the condition that we fell into in Adam in the garden. He became a sinner and and he could only reproduce what he was. In in Genesis three we have that description in verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden because his ways were no longer God's ways. And we were plunged into a level so far below God as to be beyond comprehension. Our very being and thoughts were now centered on ourselves and not subject to or in alignment with him and his holy nature. That's, a, that's what happened in the fall. It, and it tells us that in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God or hatred for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be <clears throat> you know we might go to a foreign country and we might see a big bunch of writing on the wall maybe that's all their laws we're not subject to any of them we might be we might be uh, put in jeopardy by them because they're they're there whether we understand them or not <laughs> but we can read that thing if it's in arabic or russian or whatever we we don't understand what it says so we say well that doesn't apply <laughs> i don't understand it so it's not applicable to me it's not subject to the law of god neither indeed can be there's no ability to be subject to the law of God in our natural condition. We're already condemned. We're already guilty. In verse 24 of chapter 3 of Genesis, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So next we see from our text this compulsory and prerequisite necessity of a transition, a change, the new birth to enter the kingdom of God, to enter paradise of God, to, to heaven. And when our time in this world is at its end, the flesh, our nature in this world is corrupt and cannot enter or participate in that realm. Jesus said, the flesh is flesh and the spirit is spirit Gen, uh, John 3 3 and we'll read a couple verses there except verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born again he can't see the kingdom of God is 
his visual perception only sees the things of this world. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The flesh profiteth nothing. It's, it's, not, it's never going to be useful. <clears throat> and that's what Paul wrote. He's a, such an interesting person in the scriptures, how God used him, even though he was a vile, contemptible person much like this thief that probably assaulted somebody and robbed them of all their goods and maybe hurt them, maybe killed them, I don't know. In 1 Corinthians 15.50, Paul wrote, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So there's a change at the new birth. It's a spiritual change. And then in the resurrection, there'll be another change. Our natural state in this body, the, the world does not allow a physical translation to a spiritual realm. You know, that thief was going to hang on that cross till they broke his legs and then he suffocated. It was going to be an agonizing death. Even though God said, you're going to be with me in paradise, he still was going to suffer some indignities in the way of death that still were, were going to happen. There must be a change wrought in us, the same as is externally imposed on us in the new birth. The change that we call death and the body that we're assigned to in this world returns to dust, as it tells us in Genesis 3.19. There's, I don't know how many hymns there are, we must cross over Jordan. Uh, that picture, that spiritual divide there where you're in one realm on one side and then, then on the other side is the land of milk and honey and all the good things. And in the new birth, we get a new perspective of our existence and our true relationship in the spiritual world of God. In the new birth, we discover that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. That's what tells us in John 17. And we're in this world for a purpose, and those purposes vary, but the bottom line purpose of it all is to give glory unto God through Christ, to show forth his sovereign love and mercy. <clears throat> this thief was recorded for us for a pattern of true salvation. Unable to do anything for himself, he was hopelessly bound, couldn't do any, couldn't wiggle much even. Dead spiritually, about to be dead physically, yet wherever sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You know, Paul, he recognized the same thing, and he wrote, when he was writing to Timothy, he wrote, And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant 
He just couldn't get over it. How exceedingly abundant the grace of God was. With faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, and this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, <clears throat> that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering. If you put up with me, who's not savable? For a pattern <clears throat> to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. He said, I was the most religious person in the, in the country. I bragged on it. But I, you know, I led people to be executed and put in prison. I did all kinds of harm in the name of religion. And after the new birth, Paul, by grace, experienced something even more. <clears throat> and he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, you know, it's not expedient for me to glory here, but I'll tell you something. <laughs> I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, and whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. You know that's, that word caught up there is the same word that you find in Second Thessalonians 2.13 where it says, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. And it's a word that means to seize or to pluck up. <clears throat> I knew a man caught up into paradise. But I couldn't tell if I was in my body or not. And I heard unspeakable words. It was just too much. It's not, it's not lawful for a man to utter. In his experience, he seemed to have a body, but he seemed not to be confined to that criteria. And he simply said, I can't tell. He just didn't understand how it all worked together. And we were talking about this this morning, about like that blind man that was blind from birth. He said, you know, I don't know how this happened, but I know one thing. <laughs> Where I was blind before, now I can see. And the Lord revealed himself to him in a magnificent way. And, and if you read that in, uh, we won't have time today, but if you read that uh, in John chapter 9, But spiritually, that shaped a lot of Paul's thinking, and things were not as they were or seemed. He said, there's a lot more that I can only see through a glass darkly. There's a lot more that I'm kind of getting a glimpse of through the lattice. But he understood some things. He said, you know what? I'd rather be with Christ, in Christ. But, and he wrote that to the Philippians, he says, for me to, for me to live is Christ, but, and to die is gain, because I'll be, I'll be with him. But if I live in the flesh, it's the, this is the fruit of my labor. What I shall choose, I don't know. And I'm in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better 
he thought, well, for me, it'd be far better for me to exit this world and be with Christ. But he says, it's more necessary for me to be here with you because Christ said he's a chosen vessel to bring my name to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel. I'm in a strait, having a desire to depart heart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Better, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so he viewed it as merely a departure from this realm into the, a different realm. He says, I'm, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand, is what he wrote to Timothy the second time. Time of my departure is like a train schedule kind of, or a plane. My departure time is coming up. And so when they came to the place which is called Calvary, they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right and one on the left. Little did that thief know in the purposes of God his name would be written, not only in the Lamb's book of life, but in the gospel. That he would be intersected with the very essence of the gospel, being given the new birth in the, in the last moments of his life given an understanding of his nature and sin before God and a heart to turn to Christ, a knowledge of a need for the daysman who could lay a hand on him both. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So we're, we ran over. Uh, we're going to stop there. and uh, There's more we could say on this maybe next time. <laughs>